This Week at Hope Point. Being bold is not being a jerk, not being a hothead, not being arrogant, not being rude. It's just being confident. To be confident in Jesus, that everybody needs to know about Him. Like there is no other way that without Him, people will die and be separated from God forever in hell. You have to be confident about that. Be confident that it's worth suffering for. The mantra of most Christians is the way that it's gotten now is, it's not a problem. I do believe them, but I don't think I have to speak. It's like an invention. We invented new Christianity. A Christianity believes but doesn't speak. That's new, and it's not a Christianity. We're so glad to have you join us for today's message. We pray that it would challenge and encourage you to applaud God, follow Christ, and live on mission. Let's listen to what Richard has to say to us from God's holy word. If I could, if you could ask anything, yeah, one wish in your life, what would it be? Just have one wooden wish. If you were a kid, you'd probably ask for a superpower, uh, maybe to fly, to be able to lift heavy things, or to be invisible. If you're an adult, you're probably more practical. You'd like to be taller, uh, thinner, uh, have more money, uh, new car, maybe less stress. How about if you were unjustly arrested? falsely accused and imprisoned for doing nothing wrong, what would then be your one request? Well, I think most of us would say, I'm going to ask for my freedom. I'm going to get lawyered up. I'm going to get people to write the State Department or whatever. I want my freedom, which causes us to find this prayer request by the Apostle Paul, unjustly imprisoned, so unusual in Ephesians chapter, Ephesians chapter 6. Turn my little clicker back on, and it was on. Here we go. All right, it's coming. This just heightens the, heightens the anticipation. Okay, so that's not going. So somebody in the booth will do this for me. Boom. Very good. All right, this is his prayer in prison. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So when Paul says ambassador in chains, once again, like last week, he's reminding us that he is under the streets of Rome uh, in the Mamertine prison, dark, lonely Inside that prison, he's still chained. They don't want him out preaching. And the reason he's there is he's been proclaiming this mystery of the gospel. And we love this word mystery because we, we, we know from our studies it has nothing to do with being uncertain or confused. Mystery is this, that there is a king in the world who has watched his subjects rebel And instead of destroying them and asking them to suffer, that king sent his own son to suffer for the forgiveness of the rebels. That's the mystery of the gospel. And Paul has been preaching that throughout the Roman Empire, and that's what got him arrested for preaching the good news that Christ wants to forgive us rather than judge us. And it's interesting that he does not ask for his freedom. Instead, he asks that he would be more fearless in proclaiming that message. It's important that when you look at that verse, you understand Paul's life is in pain, not because of any failure, but because of his faithfulness. 
Please hear that. It may affect some of you today. You may, that puts context to where you are. It is not Paul's failure that led to this predicament. It was his faithfulness to God that led to his heartache. And now he's asking for the church to pray, make me even more faithful with the message that got me in this prison. No let up in him at all. He wants to be more bold, more courageous, even as the NIV says, fearless. Now, last week I told you Paul in this prayer asked for two things. The first thing he asked for, he said, I want to have new words, new ways of presenting Christ. We looked at that and this week he's saying, now I want boldness when I speak those new words. He doesn't ask to be free. He doesn't ask to be released. He's asking for boldness in his teaching and preaching. I was so encouraged in our community group last uh, Sunday afternoon. It's when, when ours meets, a group of about you know, 10 or 12 of us. That's what we mean by community groups. Just take this large group and find about 10 people that maybe you're part of town. I hope you're a part of a community group. You can be if you want to be. It means the world to us. One of our members said this. She said, well, I've been praying for the past three months that God would make me fearless when I speak for him. It's been a long time since somebody had, I've heard that. I'm praying that, like somebody said, I'm praying that I want to be fearless in my evangelism. You know, throughout his letters, the Apostle Paul asked the churches on eight different times, pray for me about certain things I'm, I'm facing. Seven for sure. Eight, if you think that the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. I don't want to argue about that, but that's a, that is a prayer request. Could have, been, could have been his. But my favorite probably is in this, you know, in this passage that you know, we've been looking at here in Ephesians that I just find it remarkable that this man asked for you know, words and then boldness. Because last week when we looked at him asking for words, we said collectively, you know, Paul, are you kidding me? You got all the words. You, know, you wrote Romans, Ephesians, Galatians, Philippians, Colossians, wrote half the New Testament. You got the words. Why are you asking for words? And he told us, because it's not natural for me. I only write, I only preach well when people pray, when the church prays. Now the same thing. We look at him and he's asking for boldness. My goodness, Paul, you, you got me again. Because you are the boldest man I know. You're, you went into every city and they, you know, you either caused riots or they, they and like in Lystra, they stoned you almost to death. Philippi, they, they uh, unclothed you and beat you every place. They mocked you, ridiculed you, and then you went to the next town and did it again. What are you, what are you saying? I'm asking for boldness. To me, Paul was like a, this formula one race car driver that he went through all eight gears and was up to 220 miles an hour and was nonstop his whole ministry. And we said, why are you asking for boldness? Because he said, I drive like that. I preach like that only when the church prays. It's not natural for me to be bold. It's crucial that you understand that. Um, because I know that there are people that, that have natural boldness. There are, there are people who get up in front of thousands of people and make a political speech. And like they, it's that they're not afraid. They're bold because they think if I do it, I'll get in office. There are salesmen who, who go around over and over again, no matter how many no's they receive, they make their, their, their sales pitch again. 
They're bold because they know if I make a sale, I, I earn a salary. They're just naturally bold people. This is not what Paul is talking about. Paul is talking about a boldness that's not natural because what he's asking people to do is to place their faith in a savior that has already been crucified by the crowds, which means he could be crucified for even mentioning the savior's name. So he needs a boldness because he knows that what he's saying may cost him, not gain, cost. So that's boldness when you know you're about to say something where you would result in loss. Now, Paul said, if you want to know what's natural for me, this should encourage you. This is what he said, what's natural for me. I came to you in weakness. He's, this is another church, another city, Corinth. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. That's natural, Paul. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. He said, so even when I was afraid, I still went to the city of Corinth, pagan city, and I still preached the gospel of Christ, but I was afraid. It wasn't, it's not natural for me to be courageous. It's crucial that you understand that. I don't think there's a person in this room that has not... Uh, you're not familiar with timidity when you, at, when you heard Jesus telling you to speak, and yet you were overwhelmed with apprehension and fear. Probably more times than not, that timidity stopped you from speaking. You know this verse. It's not some weird Bible verse. You live that. I'm sure I live that. It's why we have to pray for each other, because that's in us. Lisa and I attended a a Clemson game yesterday, and there were so uh, many blessings. One of them was we had random tickets, and we sat right next to the Davis family who also had purchased random tickets. 80,000 people were right next to each other. And it was, that was, you know, like blessing number one, and that was just like too good to be true. Blessing number two was walking into the stadium. We saw this street preacher out in front of um, Frank Howard field and you know my point today in bringing him up is not to use him as an example of the only way to share Christ but to show you what boldness looks like in the uh in the 21st century these are 80,000 people coming by him and he's inviting people to leave their sin and come to Christ well that's why you go to a Clemson game is to sin <laughs> just sorry but well some people do But he knows what he's up against, and so he's, he's preaching, and now, you know, that's, the, you know, we understand probably nobody here in this room is going to be called to be a street preacher at, in front of Death Valley on a homecoming game at Clemson, so that's not what I'm advocating. I'm just saying, can we learn from him when it is our turn in our context, He's bold there. Or would you be bold where you are, where it's reasonable for you? Because uh, a few weeks ago, this uh, whole parking lot and building was filled with uh, 100 college students from six universities that were gathered together under the umbrella of campus outreach to have a weekend of exactly that, of outreach to 
you know, help people find Christ, help students find, find Christ. I want to show you a picture of just uh, <clears throat> four of the, these were either student leaders or their staff members with campus outreach. And I ask each one of them, would you tell me your story of why you're here? How did you get here? And every one of these young men, at some point in their life, their college life, I think one of them may have been late high school, but transitioning into college, someone had asked them to attend an event where Jesus Christ was being proclaimed. And they are saved in college solidly walking with the Lord and on staff, some serving the Lord because somebody was bold. The eternal trajectory of their life. So before we go mocking the street preacher at Clemson, how are you doing with at least the one-on-ones opportunities? When's the last time you have shared Jesus with one when you thought, I don't know how this is gonna go? Could go either, either way. You know, it's the boldness of the early church that caused uh, everybody to take notice of the gospel. Peter and John in Acts 3 and Acts 4, uh, they had been outside the temple in Jerusalem. A crippled man was there. He asked them for money. And Peter and John, two disciples of Jesus, This is about six weeks after Jesus had, after the crucifixion, resurrection, and he returned to heaven. So they're they're out doing what Jesus had done, preaching. Well, they told this beggar, we don't have any money, but what we have is a relationship with Jesus. And in his name, we command you to walk. He was healed. And so that caused quite a commotion among the rest of the people listening to them preach as you could understand, well, uh, it also caused the attention of the religious elites who were losing power over the people. And so they told him, uh, stop preaching Christ. Uh, Arrested him, threatened them. But they asked them an interesting question while they had them, uh, what power did you use today to do this? They did not deny the miracle. I said, what power, what religion are you with? I want you to notice the boldness in Peter's answer. Verse 10, Acts 4, know this, you and all the people of Israel. So Peter says, now what I'm about to say, I want the whole nation to hear. That's bold. (laughs) It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, So he said, we did this in the name of the man that six weeks earlier you unjustly arrested and murdered. We did it in his name. That's bold. By the name of Christ whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead that this man stands before you healed. So we did this miracle in the name of someone who has been resurrected from the grave. And since that had never happened before, that's pretty bold. We're, we're preaching in the name of a dead man now alive. That's bold. And then just to sort of seal everything, by the way, Peter says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So he's telling people who do not share his belief, his faith, 
that what we're preaching is the only faith that will get you into that homecoming in heaven, the name of believing in the name of Christ. Look at the response of the leaders. They weren't, they weren't convinced, but they were interested because of their boldness. When they saw the courage, the boldness, the fearlessness of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, uneducated, ordinary men, they were astonished that they, they took note that these men had been with Jesus. So it was the boldness in the face of fear that caused even their adversaries to at least give them a second look. Now, Peter and John had been bold, just like Paul had been bold, so you're not expecting this to come up. So I say, Peter, John, y'all are just bold. You have it. I guess you were born bold, right? That's what we do. Richard preaches because he's born bold. Not own your life. Fear all week, fear till about those steps, and then he happens when I open my mouth. But nothing natural. So Peter and John, not natural, so they know it's not natural, so they need prayer, which I asked for last week. Repeat that this week. So Paul did it. I'm going to repeat it. So look what they pray. They gather with the church and pray for boldness. It's their prayer. Now, Acts 4.29. Now, Lord, consider their threats. And those were real threats. Threats that had crucified Jesus. Consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Fearlessness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, there goes that Formula One. I heard it. <laughs> After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And after that prayer, they spoke the word of God boldly. So you're not going to get there naturally. You pray, make me fearless, or you'll never be fearless. You have to pray that. You don't just pray, God, help me share Christ. You got to pray to be fearless. Now, I do want to say that being bold is not the same as being a jerk. You may be persecuted for being a jerk. That doesn't count. It's okay to be Persecuted for being bold. Being bold is not being a jerk, not being a hothead, not being arrogant, not being rude. It's just being confident. It's to be confident in Jesus that everybody needs to know about him. Like there is no other way that without him, people will die and be separated from God forever in hell. You have to be confident about that. And be confident that it's worth suffering for. It's like if somebody came to you today and said, oh, you got to try this new restaurant. You have to try it. You wouldn't say, oh, that's arrogant. That's arrogant that you love a restaurant. No, it means that they're confident that if they send you there, your tummy and tongue will be satisfied. They're confident in that. That's all it is. So when we invite people to Jesus, it's because we're confident in him. But the 21st century, the Western church especially, is really struggling with boldness because we've lost our confidence in that it's worth everything to suffer for Christ. It's worth a difficult conversation. The mantra of most Christians is the way that it's gotten now is 
Well, I, I believe these things, and there's not a problem. I do believe them, but I don't think I have to speak. I and mean, we're really heading there. I don't have to speak about hard things. Publicly, I don't have to speak what I believe privately. That, that's just, we, it's like an invention. We invented new Christianity. A Christianity believes that do, but doesn't speak. That's new, and it's not a Christianity that's in the Bible. Those who believe speak boldly. I think C.S. Lewis used to refer in his generation in the 50s to the church in England as uh, men without chests, uh, a gutless form of Christianity. Uh, we've, we've, you know, we've had everything so easy for so long in America that now that things are shifting a little bit, it's, it's really affected our boldness. And it's amazing that there, there are believers all around the world today that are rotting in prison because they spoke for Christ where they live. And we struggle with maybe a little rejection of a neighbor or a coworker. I asked you last week to pray for me to be given words to speak at a funeral this past Tuesday that was difficult in, in many ways and uh, you know, primarily because I, I did not know the, the, the young woman who had died. I didn't know her well, knew her family better, uh, but I didn't know her. So I, I told the people gathered that day, I, I want to start off by saying I don't know her well, but God knows her perfectly. So I want to talk about him. I want to talk about God who knows her. The God who sent Jesus Christ to especially love and extend grace to damaged people. So a, a whole sermon was about Jesus' love for broken people. Well, I love that. I love that. But if you're if you're, if you're an unbeliever at a funeral, then you want me to talk all about the, peop, the person who died, really little about Jesus. So I've, I'm looking out. It's not hard to see two groups of people. Okay, they love this talk of Jesus. This group over here hate everything I'm saying. It's just, I mean, heads drop. Heads up. Which is, I mean, this has been my whole life. You could tell, you know. When you, so how do you do that? I mean, me professionally and corporately, globally, and then you privately and in your context. Well, the next day I opened my Bible, just personal Bible reading, and came across the verse. It tells you how you do it. Second Corinthians 2, but thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among two groups of people, we have this fragrance or odor. This is what he says. Third line from the Bible. The pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and. So we have a certain scent among two groups of people. Those who are being saved and those who are perishing. And then he elaborates on that statement. To the one group, we are an aroma that brings death. To the other, an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? 
I mean, who's equal to stand before a crowd, the same crowd, and be loved by some and hated by others? Who can do that? Nobody can do that without the prayers of the church and the power of the Holy Spirit. Confidence in Christ that this is, this is the greatest person you need to ever hear about, Jesus. If you're going to follow and serve Christ, you have to endure both reactions. And this is becoming very difficult for the church in America to handle both reactions because we got used so long to handling things were going well for the church. Let me give you this quote. I don't know who said it. Around the world, people fear the raised fist. In America, we fear the raised eyebrow. People can shut us down with just a look, just a little head. I think as never before, the church is chasing after cultural acceptance. We're a generation, we're just a generation that just wants to be cool as believers. We want to be cool, accepted by the world. And Jesus just never said anything like that that was going to be the course of his followers. Never said any promise that would be cool. This is what he said, if we're faithful. Luke 6, blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. Okay, wow. So you could go to this thing called BibleHub.com and it it puts every verse in the Bible and it shows you 25 different ways of translating it all the way from King James to the New Living Translation. You could read this thing 25 times and you're never going to find the word cool in there. What you're going to find is this right here. Rejoice when people hate you. And insult you. Oh, and reject you. And call you evil. Where are the people? Where are the people in the church who are going around saying, I am leaping for joy because someone hated me today when I shared Christ with them? I was called evil. Woo! Where are those people? Now, again, we're not, you know, we don't be just dumb about this. We don't rejoice because we like rejection. We rejoice because you have a reward in heaven. That's why you rejoice. Nobody, we're not asking to go be martyrs because it feels good to be tied to the stake and set on fire. But there's a reward for being tied to the stake and being set on fire. Let me, let me tell you, if, if there are any teenagers or college people here, let me just tell you what happens as you age. It's a glorious thing. I'm 62 and I cherish age. Average age in the world now is just like 80. I'm 18 years from dying. <laughs> I mean, I'm far, most of my life is done. Got maybe 18 years of 
you know, whatever, add a few. And let me tell you, you begin to get like this, and you know what you look forward to? Reward of heaven. Like you've labored 37 years and all the sacrifices. And let me tell you, remember, the only reason I'm getting in heaven is because Christ was slaughtered on a cross for my sins. Dark stuff in my heart and mind. But I'm going and I'm getting rewarded because the blood and the resurrection of Christ makes me clean. And he's going to reward me for these little sermons. And I can't wait. I can't wait to learn then that it's all, all worth it. I've spent my life, and you have too, trying to build up the church and to warn the unrepentant. Come to Christ. I'm going to get rewarded for that, whether I ever figured it made sense to me on earth or not. Great is your reward in heaven. Believe that, and you'll be a good witness. I had a great opportunity a few weeks ago. I've been in this upholstery shop so many times in my life. Uh, love these guys, and they've done a lot of work for us, but I went by there because I wasn't able to really get them on the phone lately, and so I just went by to see if they were okay, and it turned out to be that they, they weren't okay. And so I was talking to this guy, I've talked to him for years, and uh, He's been in the hospital. He does primarily all the upholstery work there. He's been in the hospital and just almost died. And he's on oxygen now and they're going to have to, he can't work anymore and he's just finishing up a few projects. And so I'm thinking, I'm talking to him and he's 63 and I said, you know, and I told him about the stuff that, you know, not, not, you know, most of us, about 80. And I said, you almost died. And I said, you know, you will and I will. I said, have you ever come to a time in your life where you said, I, when all of this hard life is over, life has really gotten hard for you, you want to be in a place where there's 100% joy, no pain, no injustice, and you see the God who has given you the strength to work and I said, have you ever transferred all of the sins in your life? Have you ever believed the gospel that God's son died for you? Have you ever transferred your sins to Jesus? He said, I've never done that. I said, would you like to do that? So I flipped through my book, How to Lead Somebody to Christ in an Upholstery Shop. (laughs) There it is, chapter 11. And there in that upholstery shop, he repeats after me, Lord, I want to go to heaven. I I know I've sinned. I believe Christ died for me. And here are my sins. And I want to receive your perfect goodness in my life. And so he prays. And he opens his eyes after we finish. He just startled. He says, says, Pastor, is it brighter in here to you? I said, yeah, it is. It's brighter. In here to you. And, and I want to thank you for clapping for the one time in life I got it right <laughs> instead of the thousand times I, I got it wrong and walked away from a great opportunity. It's amazing. It's alarming in our culture. We've gotten to the point where we 
Again, we say we believe, you know, a lot of things are true, but we don't share them with people. We don't warn people. And we really only talk about the true things in a safe place. You know, at staff meeting or maybe in a small group or at home or as you gather in the lobby and you talk about maybe what's wrong with the world, what's wrong with the country. And, but when somebody asks you what's wrong with the country, it's no longer a safe place. You don't say it. I mean, like, you know the answer, what the Bible says about life, children, babies, morality, marriage, uh, sexuality, gender, how to get to heaven, which is, we're, and we're decreasingly not talking about those things. We may talk about them in church or at a Christian conference, but even less in church. And what's happening is there's an attempt by the spirit of the world to enter the church and to gut the church of truth and suppressing the truth. And we tried to invent a Christianity that says in the name of love, I'm not going to say what is true right now. And so we put on this mask of love but God sees behind the mask, and he, what he really sees is fear. It's not love. We're afraid. We're not either afraid of that person's rejection, or we're not confident that the truth will save. Whoever's going to get saved is going to get saved from the truth about Jesus. And so what this has produced, Chuck Colson talked about this a long time ago, back in the 80s, it's called the spiral of silence. And what he means by that is the more that... Uh, I don't speak, uh, the person next to me loses their courage to speak, the person next to them loses their courage. And so uh, in our non-speaking, we've produced other non-speakers. It's, let, let me just tell you how this works. I have spent my life, uh, I loved nothing more than to meet with people that you know, desire to be liberated from Whatever sin, you know, fill it in the blank. You know, it might be greed, it might be um, depression, it, it, it might be loneliness, it might be anger, uh, lust, it may be in the form of uh, alcoholism, uh, pornography, it might be they're involved in heterosexual sin or homosexual sin, but regardless, you know, when, when I talk with them, they will say, this is my sin and boy, you know, the mystery of the gospel. Every time I get to present, you get to present, God is the king who does not want to inflict judgment against rebels, but to send his son to die for them, to free them from their rebellion. So we used to like every sinner and every sin, but now... Culture says, no, but there's some sense you cannot talk about anymore. And so the church has stopped offering hope for those types of sins. I mean, you say like, don't talk about abortion. Don't do that. Not that. Don't talk about homosexuality. And so what we're doing is we are separating those sins from the other sins. that People say, yeah, you can still talk about those. And so these people can't get liberated because we're not... Telling them the truth. Because we're afraid, because culture said, don't talk about those. And 
It creates a spiral of silence where pastors quit teaching that, church quits hearing that, and everybody keeps speaking. And the way that you break the spiral of silence is by one person deciding to be bold. And then that produces, you know what happens when all of a sudden you hear somebody in any context, they say something bold for Christ? This is what happens. It happens to me when I'm listening to the big guys that preach. Oh, I can say that. That's how you break the spiral of boldness. One says some bold, and the next person says, well, I believe that, but I didn't know you could say that. And then Paul, this happened to Paul. He was in prison. The church had gotten afraid in Philippi that we're probably going to go to prison too if our pastor goes to prison. So all of a sudden, Everything changed, and Paul said, there's been a blessing about being in prison, and that is now the church has gotten bold. This is how he said it in Philippians 1:14. Because of my chains, again, a reference to prison, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Paul's boldness broke the spiral of silence. So here he is, he's not bitter, he doesn't want to be released, he just is thanking God for the blessing that there have been more and more bold people. Let me offer you a challenge, if you are 40 years old and above, probably could have picked any other number, maybe should have, but let me just tell you, God is calling you to be a model of courage for this younger generation. That's the number one thing I think it needs to happen of uh, those of us who are 40 and that you got uh, middle school, high school, college, looking to us to, to be a model of courage. When they see courage in us, it produces courage. And then uh, you might have had a model of courage in your life, a bold father, maybe a bold mother. Maybe you uh, competed with, uh, uh, under, uh, trained by a bold coach or you listened to the testimony of a bold athlete and that has helped you. But... We are decreasing in our culture. There's just not many models of courage like there used to be. You, history is filled with models of courage. Not so much now. It's our turn, 40-year-old and up, to rewrite history or to, or to write new history, to write new history of being models of, of courage. So the question now arises since our generation, our culture is telling us, don't talk about these issues, who gives us the right to talk about every issue? Who does that? Paul answers that. I'll read the verse again. This is it. This is the final time to look at it. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an, here's the word, title of my sermon, ambassador, for which I am an ambassador in chains, and that's that, that word changes everything in his context. Because what is an ambassador? We know what an ambassador is. It's somebody that's appointed by a king to go represent the country in another country. Or a prime minister appoints an ambassador. Or a president appoints an ambassador. But when that ambassador goes out, he goes out with the words of the king. And when he meets with other ambassadors and other kings uh, of other countries, he doesn't change his message because they have another belief in that country. Because he, he's, he's accountable to his king that sent him out. It's not his message. 
It's his king's message. And the only person he wants to please while he's away is his king. You're an ambassador. You'll have one thing on your mind. Is Jesus Christ pleased with my speech for him? No matter how many people reject you, your only job is to be an ambassador. My advice to young people, and if you say, well, I'm, I'm young at heart, then you can hear this too. My advice, you're out of the blocks, running hard in life. This is my advice to Die to the frowns and smiles of the world and live for the pleasure and favor of God. You live by that, you'll be bold. You'll be faithful. Last week, we, you know, we, we talked about Paul. There he was in prison. And uh, it was hard, it was lonely, dark, smelly. So yes, being an ambassador is hard. Being an ambassador can be painful, but it's not impossible. Paul was in prison and he said, everybody's left me in Asia because they were intimidated by the jail. They were embarrassed by him. So he said, all the people I've trained in Asia have left me, not in Philippi, but that was in Europe. He's talking about people in Asia. They left him. So what's going to happen? Paul tells us. Just hear this momentum from last week. Everyone has deserted me. Then you keep reading in that chapter, you come to this verse. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed. I don't know of a sweeter word in life, phrase, than the Lord gave me strength. There is a strength that you'll never experience apart from personal evangelism. That sounds like you say, I never, like you could live this entire world and never be experienced. This is part of God's strength. He only gives it when you're an ambassador, when you're in chains, when you're frightened a little bit and you still open your mouth and say the right thing, that strength comes upon your life. Man, let's just rejoice one more time when nobody is standing beside you and it's time to speak the Lord is in that prison on that burning stake in that lion's den the Lord in your house work your neighborhood the Lord is by your side we hope you've enjoyed this podcast from Hope Point Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina If you would like to learn more about us or give to this ministry, please go to our website at hopepoint.org. We hope you can join us again next week.